0: This CBF podcast conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theology education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next steps in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash m-a-t-m degree that's fuller.edu backslash m-a-t-m degree
1: since 2016 cbf has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter these stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the united states and the world We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support.
0: This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are excited to launch this new podcast listener support project. We hope you'll visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for finding out ways of how you can support the podcast, but get stuff in return, like books from our guests here on the podcast, like sending in questions for upcoming guests, like joining me on an actual interview with one of our guests and of course, the VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly by joining me with whoever we bring in for the podcast stage. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by CBF Advocacy. CBF Advocacy is excited to announce two Advocacy and Action opportunities in 2020. Advocacy in Action will be returning to Washington, D.C. on March 9th through the 12th, 2020, after a wonderful event in New York City. CBF's Advocacy's annual event will include popular staples such as participation meetings with congressional offices and opportunities to hear about advocacy efforts with CBF partners in Washington in 2020 advocacy in action will include more experiential opportunities including a special tour of the national museum of african-american history and culture registration for this event will be capped at 60 and opens september the 2019 visit cbf.net backslash advocacy in action for more information about housing options registration and event details For the first time ever, CBF's Advocacy is happy to announce a regional Advocacy in Action event in conjunction with CBF Heartland. Advocacy in Action Heartland will be February the 8th through the 10th, 2020 in Jefferson City, Missouri, co-hosted by CBF Heartland, First Baptist Jefferson City, CBF, and Word and Way the focus on equipping individuals to advocate for their state and local governments and finding alternatives to payday loans advocacy and action heartland promises to be an event you won't want to miss our guests for this week's conversation are the co-authors of an ongoing imagination clover reuter Beale and walter Brugemann. clover is the pastor of mountain view boulevard presbyterian church in denver colorado five blocks away from the beautiful city park and Walter Brueggemann has dabbled a little bit in the Old Testament scripture and casually written on the implications it has for our lives. Clover and Walter, thank you for joining the conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Now, before we get to the book, we'd like to find out a little bit about the persons behind the words. Uh, so, Clover, let's start with you. How, how did you end up pastoring in one of the most beautiful cities in the world?
2: <laughs> Very good. Uh, I was serving a church in Cleveland uh, Cleveland Heights, Ohio for um, 11 years. Uh, my family, my husband and kids were in Cleveland since 99 and kind of out of the blue, I mean really out of the blue, um, Montview uh, Boulevard Presbyterian Church. This church called me, kind of got a name through some folks when they started their search process and um, contacted me uh, to see if I would be open to considering a move um, to this wonderful church. And I was not um, interested in moving. I had no real plan to you know, move my family. or um, And so I kind of got the Samuel call. I got three three times over about five months they called me. Well, just think about it. Just think about it. So anyway, we um, kind of took it seriously and I, we made, my husband and I made a move here. My kids were young adults, um, but my husband still lives in Cleveland ha- uh, half the week because he teaches at Case Western Reserve University. So we have been here for four years. I've been uh, co-pastor of this wonderful church, um, but my husband tr- travels back and forth to teach in Cleveland every week. So it's still, it's a bit of a challenge and um, a bit of a good uh commitment that we've made to
0: this i would dare say it says something about your character that you're deeply committed to to family and to calling that you had to discern whether or not you wanted to stay in cleveland ohio or denver colorado no (laughs) offense to cleveland or anything
2: right well (laughs) and i do want to put a big big plug for cleveland we love cleveland it's a great city and it's a great city to raise your kids um But yeah, there's something about Denver and the beauty and my husband is a big, big downhill skier. And so for him, this was a no brainer, even (laughs) though he only is here on weekends, but it's the mountains were calling.
0: Now you're a co-pastor. How does that work on its best days?
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, well, and this is a, a good-sized church. We're, we're about 1,500 members, and this co-pastorate model—it's the two senior pastors are co-pastors—and um, so this model is collaborative leadership. It's been in place here at Mount View since 1975, I believe. So they've really modeled this collaborative leadership, um, and on the best days and really every day is a good day in this way. You share decision-making, you, um, you can risk, do some risky things in our ministries um, because you're not sticking your neck out by yourself. Um, Cause sometimes, as we know, sometimes uh, parishioners get a little fussy about no.
0: Decisions no.
2: <laughs> being made. And this way we can do it together and, um, and we're, my colleague and I are super fortunate. We really enjoy each other's company as well. And, uh, yeah, it works really well. Half the preaching, which is great. Half the session meetings to moderate. So, you know, <laughs> there are real benefits.
0: Well, that must be a Presbyterian thing that, you know, like parishioners getting upset because Baptists don't have any uh, history they don't of,
2: have that. Oh, of
0: conflict don't or anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you have you've moved, you've evolved, yeah, oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've oh, really so grown up and matured, yeah <laughs> now uh Dr Bergermann or if you want ask him, Walter, um you know you've been credited with over a uh, hundred and thirty books and endless other essays there There are so many questions I'd like to ask you, um, but I guess the most important question is, um, how disappointed are you in your Cleveland Browns opening to the season <laughs> I know you're a big fan, and I know there was a lot of hype going into the season for that sport. I
3: think the I think the NFL is the liturgy of uh, white male capitalism, <laughs> and uh, I want to stay as far away from the NFL as I possibly can. Uh,
0: yeah. You, you he gave you, it up, yeah? Yeah, well, that's that's good for you, but it's easy to say. Yep. a Good way to kind of. Uh, practice uh, differentiation of uh, over over hype teams. Now you've trained countless ministers um, and intrigued many others through your work and your writing. Um, You know, with such a vast collection of books to your credit, what's your favorite one to write? Uh,
3: Well, I suspect that uh, my book uh, Finally Comes the Poet uh, was the biggest stretch for me. Uh, when I did that, that was my uh, Beecher lectures at uh, Yale. Uh, obviously, my signature book is Prophetic Imagination, uh, which is kind of old, and uh, we just uh, celebrated the 40th anniversary of that book. Uh, and you can uh, make the case that uh, the rest of my work uh, has been uh, simply uh, exposing the theses of that book that I wrote in um, 1978. But uh, basically, uh, what I like best is the book I'm working on. So, uh, whatever that is. And, uh, so, uh, I'm uh, always glad to have finished a book. So, <laughs> <Yep>.
2: <laughs> that's how I feel about preaching. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. right. Yep. Yep.
0: Now, now occasionally um I, i've preached a sermon or had a podcast interview that i wish i could get back and i'm sure there's a long line of former and existing church members that would argue there is a lot more than just the occasional bad sermon so which of your book um was the most difficult to write or your least favorite to write
3: Uh, I I think uh, the most uh, difficult to write was my uh, theology of the Old Testament because Mm -hmm. uh, I really tried to uh, put together uh, the theological claims of the Old Testament as I understand them. I tried to put them uh, uh, together in a a fresh dialogical way and uh, that was a strain for me to to find a way to say that and uh, in retrospect, uh, there are parts of that that I could have done uh, differently and uh, better. Uh, so that uh, that was a difficult challenge for me. Uh, in contrast to uh, uh, some other uh, books that I've done that sort of wrote themselves and uh, just uh, required me to put it down, which I did. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing is... Uh, is not easy work. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, I've developed uh, pretty good working habits, but, uh, the, uh, the idea of thinking a new thought, uh, at the tip of your pen, and I write everything longhand, uh, is, uh, is, is always, um, uh, an uncertainty about whether, uh, you can do that the next time you try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes it works a lot better than at other times.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I must say, um, introduction to the old Testament, the Canon and Christian imagination is my go-to book as I prepare to, um, write a sermon or prepare a conversation around any old Testament scriptures. So, um, Mm -hmm. now, uh, Clover, before we get to the actual conversation about the book, um, Mm -hmm. I wonder if you might tell us how this collaborative work came together.
2: Um, Well, descriptively, it came together because we had, uh, Walter and I had some conversations over the years, and the first one um, was at my former church in Cleveland Heights in 2011, I believe, and we kind of, Walter was generous to um, agree to come over and do to come over to our church even though he was speaking at another church um, and do a conversation we invited pastors um, and then others came and it was such a great format and uh, my husband uh, Tim who edited this book um, had uh, his just his camera phone I think and videotaped the conversation and, um, and we both said oh there's really interesting things here that as um, like a god in recovery um, we weren't sure we had heard walter talk about that um, before and so it was just some uh, great and so that kind of spurred some other i think we had maybe five more conversations public and then at our home too and so the the conversation format works really well it works well for me what i my secret Uh, you know hope in my life is to become you know a a, you know oprah to have my own show and and just interview really impressive people but uh, it was such a privilege to get to be in that format um with walter so so then we thought well let's let's see if we can transcribe these conversations we've done since 11 and um propose it to walter and he was generous to say okay and um and then put them in in uh, thematic you know cat- uh, categories to talk about different topics. And so we see this book as kind of a primer for people who want to learn about um, Walter's work. And also, it's a great, I think, condensed um, piece of things that he does think and and believe. And that he's had he has shared some more personal, more um, Biographical, autobiographical um, stories that we think are wonderful to share so it's funny to talk and about you here with you be, <laughs> with you yeah. just sitting there yeah.
3: and and I may say that clover has great uh, skills at uh, doing interviews so it was uh, a delight from my end to be able to do that with clover yeah
0: You know, the problem with continuing a show like that is you've set the bar so high. (laughs) That's like, uh, who are you going to do next?
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I got an opportunity to interview Elaine Pagels um, publicly here. And that was by, again, kind of a funny look. But it was really enjoyable. And I think she, too, said some things in that format that that I'm not sure she otherwise would have in a lecture. So um, I do enjoy this format, and I think there's something really to it for um, scholars and theologians that maybe maybe they're tired a little bit of just writing lectures to give publicly. I don't, Walter, do you find that? that I know you don't enjoy that. Well, that it's much—it's much, uh, so
3: much easier. Yeah. because uh you know, on the other end of it you're doing all the hard work and uh <laughs> it's easier to, to have to uh initiate every paragraph yeah. and, and so on
2: right. so right. yes yeah and the dynamic <laughs> right. i mean just that medium right that cold medium um is great
0: yeah Yeah. well i I love how you know each line of the book is is credit to each of you so the reader. Um, you know, obviously wasn't there for these initial conversations, but the reader can create a unique flavor of your personality and wisdom and, you know, perspective. When I first got a copy of this book, I fully expected, you know, oh, well, this is going to be just some questions from, you know, for Dr. Brueggemann. But, you know, Clover, I, I really found that your insight and your wisdom and your perspective you shared into these same topics helped uh, help shape the conversation in a broader and a dynamic way um, than just a simple you know person asking of questions so i, I thought it was a fascinating aspect of the book um Good. you know so this month uh, being you know when it releases in october um an ongoing imagination a conversation about scripture faith and the thickness of relationships this is a fascinating book it's based around your conversations on the bible and spiritual formation and sabbath and so much more this book is obviously about imagination and clover you wrote i want people in the congregation to do the work of relevance and people have to decide for themselves what is relevant. What I want to do is to enrich and fund the elements of imagination that are visible for people to process their life. I wonder if you would take us a little deeper into what you mean by the elements of imagination.
2: Well, let me first say, I I don't think I was one that said that. I think I think either Walter or Tim said that. Is, that, is that, is that in my, I'm like, I don't know if I, if I said it so well, but perhaps well, we'll, I did.
0: Yeah. We'll talk to Westminster John Knox press because they gave you credit for it. So.
2: Oh, well, good for them. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. But so, so repeat the, 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 the line on relevance. Is that what you asked?
0: Yeah. So you, you, are kind of asking about the relevance side for people for themselves. What is relevance? And then you talk about, um, What to do to enrich and fund the elements of imagination that are available for people as they process their
2: life? Well, I guess um, I would, well, I guess in terms of being a a minister, I'm going to, I guess, speak in this lens, being a minister and talking about parishioners' lives, I feel like what we do is help people connect the dots in their lives and what is going on um, around them. And then what the tradition and scripture, particularly scripture, um, how the scripture continues to be relevant or can speak and make connections with what their daily lives are. And I find with my parishioners, they they struggle to incorporate faith in their lives. and. In the kind of the circles I'm in, they really struggle to figure out how the text has relevancy, even though I'm a little hesitant to use it. that word gets a little misused, I think, but um, I feel like my work, my call and and as a my own individual life is 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 figuring out where faith and my identity as a Christian by baptismal identity um, connects with my uh, my life and the life of those around me. So,
0: hmm. well, Dr. Brueggemann, I wonder if you, you might speak into, you know, what are the best tools for enriching the elements of imagination within a congregation's life, whether individually or collectively as a faith community?
3: Well, I think that uh, the way scripture works in a uh, more or less progressive congregation like uh, Montview is that our meanings and our interpretations cluster around images and figures and metaphors. Uh, and uh, when we uh, get comfortable with an image or a metaphor, we think it's a given and we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. So the work of teaching and preaching. Uh, is to invite people to new configurations of metaphors that then always come embedded in narrative. And when you get a new narrative, that is the carrier of a metaphor or an image, uh, what happens is that our whole experience, if if we're open to it, our whole experience can get reshaped and refigured around a new image. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is the transfer of meaning. We do do this unconsciously and gradually, but it is the transfer of meaning from one image to another image or from one narrative to another narrative that enables us to experience and interpret the world differently. Uh, I will cite a simple example. When my uh, younger son was six, Uh, I always said table prayers, and before I learned about um, inclusive language, I always addressed God as Father. And uh, one night at table, I decided to be a little Jewish, and I addressed uh, God as King. And John's eyes came up so big from the prayer because that was a new image for him about Mm -hmm. God. Uh, and uh, I don't, I don't know that at six years he did a lot of processing of that, but I think that is illustrative of how it works over time. And a preacher or a pastor or uh, an interpreter has an opportunity to work uh, a field of uh, images and metaphors and narratives that uh, keep it, keep opening up. Uh, new dimensions of how we perceive and experience our life. I think that's, uh, uh, I I think the alternative to that is to traffic in propositions of of absolute abstract truths and uh, none of the three of us is interested in that at all. So I think this is uh, the the way it works in in most of our life and in most congregations.
0: Mm This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years center consultants coaches and educators have been supporting congregations clergy and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life including training ministers to manage transition helping congregations work through polarizing conflict coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry and assisting congregations in discerning god's call to future missions and ministry Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Now, in in the book... um... Y'all spoke about a doxological imagination in regards to scripture. More specifically, y'all were talking about uh, the creation narrative. Uh, Walter, can you can you take us a little deeper there into what you mean and its implications for how we interact with the scriptures?
3: Well, by doxological imagination, I think Clover and I meant uh, that uh, praise is a form of reasoning uh, that is uh, expansive and open and yielding. So the proper posture for a doxology is to stand uh, with your head up and your arms outstretched in a yielding receptive mode. Uh, And I think that that kind of reasoning is uh, opposed Uh, to our fearful reasoning in which we want to tie everything down and grab all the certitudes that we can and close the world off and uh, when we um, uh, talked about creation in terms of of, uh, doxological reasoning uh, you could take uh, Psalm 104 which is a great creation psalm or Genesis 1 Uh, And what you can see is that the biblical statements about creation are basically uh, expressions of amazement and wonder uh, about how great God is and how great uh, God's continuing work of creation is. Uh, And uh, that doxological reasoning about creation doesn't lead to scientific explanation uh, it leads to amazement and wonder and receptivity, and uh I think that in a in a fearful culture like ours for the church to be nurturing uh a doxological uh reasoning that is open and unafraid uh, is a very important piece of work for us
2: hmm. May I add something there i um not specifically about the text, but I was, we were doing a series here, a preaching series on joy as an act of resistance. And so I've been doing some reading about the theology of joy and, and writings around it and wonder connected to that wonder and awe. And I was uh, read a little bit of um, by Heschel, by Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he, he talked about when, Wonder stops when wonder and awe. When we stop living in wonder and awe of the ineffable or the mystery of God, that we give into control. And he and he really was talking about like, the evils of Nazism. I think is what he was uh, talking about, and how we give up our control because we want certitude, and we want we start living in fear and and others. We we give away power because we don't have the mystery that we honor. And so we lose the sense that others, um, the the humanity and the beauty and the wonder and mystery of other human beings as well. And so I thought there was a great kind of doxological connection there of both praising the mystery of God and honoring the value of other humans in that.
0: This is such I mean it's such a wonderful uh, term, Clover. I wonder if you might um, take us a little deeper into how you help um, your congregation navigate this uh, this type of imagination and worship and spiritual formation, but more importantly kind of the the broader implications of living worship and living spiritual formation outside of you know the the confines of the church building
2: mm-hmm. well, I guess my starting point is um, as a as a minister in the more progressive churches that i've been in um i i want so much and and have been so influenced by by walter and my more conservative upbringing with a love for scripture i so much want the church to embrace uh, a, a return to or a love for and a seriousness with uh engagement with scripture because i believe that's that's the starting point. That's the ground of who we are. And the our engagement with scripture to shape us, our identity is what will shape who we are as the church, what our mission is, what our call is. So it's not just as individuals, of course, it's what is our collective call given who we are um, in relationship with this God in the, we that we see in the in the text um so returning simply returning to scripture over and over and over again trying to incorporate a a study of scripture and engagement both devotionally but also with great study and progressives are good at being critical they can get to the critical part and welter's was so helpful with the pre-critical critical and post-critical we're not great about getting to the post-critical we can deconstruct scripture or you know our thoughts about the bible but we don't get to so then what what do we do with this and how do we still honor and value um scripture in the world so we try to get at it in all s- sorts of ways and i Sometimes I vary, uh, I uh, veer from the lectionary text if I don't really feel like they've, I don't know, that they've got not given us a rich enough text or they've skipped some texts that are going to give us a different angle or lens on God that I think is important.
0: That's fascinating. I mean, does,
2: that get it? does that get at what you're asking?
0: No, no, it does. I mean, and, and you know, kind of self-reflection from my end, um, I am definitely a deconstructionalist. <laughs> and I realized mm-hmm. recently, you know, leaving a church start to come to an established church to kind of uh, coach and nurture and shepherd into a new paradigm of, of the culture and ministry, that so much of my preaching was deconstructional. Um, and I was talking so much about what is wrong with, uh, the way that we approach faith, the way that we approach the world, the way that we avoid certain teachings of Jesus. And I recognize in the last, um, really nine months that deconstruction has its place, but also creating the healthy tools around helping people reconstruct and reform in a new way. Um, and so, yeah, I think you, you got straight to it. I mean, that's just part of my nature and a switch I'm trying to make, not only as a individual follower of Christ, but also as a, you know, as a pastor of a congregation.
2: Right, um, right, right.
0: You know, what, what, one of the most loaded and dangerous and most widely used phrases by religious people is, well, the Bible says, and often this is spoke out of a, uh, a literalist perspective of scripture. And one of my favorite chapters in the book was alternative literalism. Um, and Walter, you wrote, I think we need to be attentive about how we think about being literalist. Take us a little deeper into this conversation about you being a biblical literalist.
3: Well, I would say that the people that uh, talk about biblical literalism are not literalists. What, what most people mean when they say biblical literalism, they mean biblical historicism. Mm-hmm. They mean uh, it really happened that way. But literal means to pay attention to the words and letters and sentences of the Bible. Uh, And I am all for that, which I don't think the church does much. And certainly conservative churches that prattle about the Bible pay very little attention to what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. So when people say the Bible says, I want to know where I want to know in what context, (laughs) and I want to know what else the Bible says about that subject somewhere else. So I think it's very uh, energizing to try to find, and it's pretty easy to do, to find the tensions in the Bible that this is said here about this. But if you look over here, this is what's said. So that interpretation becomes the hard work of adjudication between two claims that cannot be easily reconciled. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, we handle that hard problem by being unaware of the second statement. So I'm all for literalism, uh, but since you can almost always find a counter statement, you cannot absolutize, uh, for the most part, you cannot absolutize any particular literalism, because it's always going to be uh, corrected or edited by another literalism. So I am all for the specificity of the text without overlaying it with either morality or dogmatics. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, uh, progressives and conservatives both do that all the time. What we want to do is to summarize Scripture, and Scripture refuses to be summarized. Mm -hmm. Uh, it insists on being taken a text at a time and then to ask, uh, to what text is this text sending me? And mm-hmm. often it is sending me to a text to which I do not want to go. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's how my take on literalism uh, is, uh, I think, a, an important corrective to most uh, popular notions of biblical literalism.
0: Well, for, for pastors that are ministering to local congregations, what's the best way to, to course-correct or to coach people around incorrect biblical literalism?
3: That's well, I, I think that is, that is a, it's a two-step deal. One is uh, for the pastor to model it, but then, uh, then the pastor also needs to call the congregation's attention to do you know what i'm doing do you notice Mm -hmm. what i'm doing here what Mm -hmm. i'm doing here is blah 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 so you educate i think by example Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, we have many opportunities to do that uh, in uh, uh, educational work in the congregation and in preaching uh, that we can model that quite intentionally uh, and call attention when we do that to how that has been distorted in uh, popular work by both conservatives and progressives. Mm-hmm. Good.
0: CBF believes in conversations that matters. That's the primary drive behind this podcast series. Um, and Clever, you, you've given us a very dynamic conversation with a dear mentor and friend. You know, we tend to talk to people that are like us, people that think like us, people that see the world like us. So, I wonder, uh, Clover, if you might uh, take us a little deeper into how do we create spaces for dynamic and vital conversations with those that are not like us, people who don't think and see the world like us, including brothers and sisters in Christ from across the theological spectrum.
2: Right. Well, I think we yeah that's a that's a tough question that takes such intentionality and increasingly so doesn't it um in this polarized uh environment we're in i think it's it's some simple practical place uh, starting point is putting ourselves in those places to be in conversation. Uh, with people who are different from us, it, whether that's religiously different, different religious traditions, you know interreligious, um, or uh, or more conservative, I guess. Um, in fact, w- walter, if if you remember the gentleman who facilitated a conversation with some evangelical uh, faith leaders, when you were here at Montview and he had a circle of more evangelical um, pastors who came to talk with you. Um, Anyways, we had that conversation back in about 2016 and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that started a relationship for us with that leader, that faith leader, um, Dave, and he just, I had him preach here at Montview and he he definitely is an more evangelical tradition, but I had him come and preach on neighboring because he wrote a book on being neighbors, and we did a series on um, here on who is my neighbor and what is it to be a neighbor, a preaching series. So I had him come and preach, and he definitely was, it it was just a different, it wasn't a different message, but it was a different voice. And so it was so good for this congregation, probably the, the one tradition they do not have, uh, in the pulpit is a more conservative voice um we have rabbis preaching you know we have, we have others but um but just yep. having yep. a different different voice in that way was opening up people to hear more jesus talk you know uh, more references to jesus in some ways um so yeah so i think the intentionality andy is is uh is a tough one and absolutely necessary is being in relationship practically bringing your people into relationship with those who are um not just like us but we're tired this is I guess I'll answer my own question too and the challenge we're exhausted as clergy so the intentionality of adding that layer of engagement outside of our community is it's it's
0: tough mm. Walter what did you learn from clover through these conversations <laughs> No pressure
3: Walter well, well I well let me first of all say <laughs> I don't, I don't know whether it's clear to your listeners that um, um Clover and Tim are among my very best students for 50 years of teaching and uh, Clover is a model of a good pastor and Tim is a model of a good academic That's so great. it's a dynamic duo and mm-hmm. um what I what I learned from uh, Clover, uh, first of all, is that that um, conversational modes are really a way to get at stuff uh, in fresh ways. And the second I learned from uh, Clover, well, I had confirmed of Clover, this is serious business. Mm. Uh, this is uh, serious business in the life of the church and in the life of our society yeah. uh, more generally. And uh, the modeling of conversation about serious matters is uh, really important uh, in a a time when both liberals and conservatives uh, want to gauge in reductionism about everything. And uh, the the truth is that the the great matters of our life and of our faith are not capable of such reduction. Uh, So conversation is a way... Uh, to resist uh, formulaic reduction that uh, arrives at certitudes much too quickly. Mm.
2: Mm. That's a, well, and I think this conversation mode, then back to your question prior to this, is even to model conversations for your community of um, those who are different from one another, so to to watch a public conversation Happen between people of different, you know, traditions, experiences, voices, genders, you know, whatever it is, to to ask hard questions, but to watch that unpack before you is a great way for people to learn. That it's disarming; they're not being talked at, and they can be in that conversational world even if they're not talking with um, a pair or a panel or something. Not a panel. Yeah. Really, modeling conversation and openness yeah. and response to one another, I think, is absolutely necessary in this time that we're in.
0: Yeah. I was just, hiss- you know, listening to to Walter give this amazing praise of you, and I was thinking. You know, I think most of my seminary professors were just glad I graduated and got out of their hair. I don't think they would ever get on a national podcast and say, "Well, I have a I lot of so I good.
3: had a lot of students like that too. I was very right <laughs> glad to see them go. <laughs> <laughs> just that Clover and Tim were not among them.
2: <laughs> well, we wouldn't leave him. We just he was kind of stuck with us. He just kind of kept boomeranging back into his life. <laughs>
0: Well clever I wonder if you might uh, might speak into what what's your greatest hope for this book
2: oh gosh I, I guess uh well one the like I said at the beginning for for people who don't know um, Walter and when Walter's works um I hope it's a way in that it's a it's a, a manageable uh, uh, way in and uh i I think Walter says some things in there um, that might be new to people or might be fresh for them about him. He has, as we all know, so many fans and so many followers. And so maybe there's something here, I think, that they can learn about him. And and some of his own personal story, um, Walter, that I appreciated, so grateful for some of the personal Aspects of your life that you shared that I think will be very, um, you know, your Walter is a, is, is profoundly, um, his own, uh, category, his own, his, his own level of, of profound impact in the church and in the, in scholarship. And I think to have access to him in a, in a more personal way will be, uh, uplifting and uh useful to people, helpful. So I hope that and I and back to the conversation mode, I I think we're at something with this, um we're getting at something with the conversation models. So maybe there's something inspirational about that too. Having a converse, conversation doesn't have to be um less than hearing a lecture or reading a book that's tight, you know, in its uh yep.
0: ideas. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Good. It's a lot easier to edit. Uh, Walter, how do you see ministers using this in the local church?
3: Well, I, I suppose it could be, uh, that sections of it could be taken up, uh, as a kind of conversation starters for study groups and stuff like that, I would think. Or, uh, it may be that, that, uh, little pieces can be lifted out, that maybe, uh, some pastor will think that uh, the exchange that clover and i had was illuminating about some text or some issue or something so uh, maybe it's uh, uh, pedagogically useful in that way
2: i would hope yeah yeah
0: i guess final final question um for both of you was it weird for us to have a conversation about a conversation
2: for me. No, it, it was actually it's good to again it's good to connect the dots and yeah.
3: Well, I I think the the whole uh, interpretive enterprise is uh joining a conversation that's been going on for a long time.
2: That's and, right. And
3: uh to get one's voice into that conversation uh is a good thing and uh, so that's what we do when we can.
2: Yep. And that's the title of the book. That It's Ongoing Imagination and Conversation.
0: Yep. Well, for our listeners, go out and purchase Ongoing Imagination, a conversation about scripture, faith, and the thickness of relationships wherever books are sold. Uh, Dr. Bergman, thank you for continuing to expand our understanding of scriptures and how they function in our life and inspiring us to become more. And Clever, thank you for giving us a peek into your brilliant wisdom through the simple and dynamic art of conversation.
2: Oh my goodness. What an honor. Thank you. A great, great pleasure to be with I'm you. Glad we could do it. Glad we could do it together.
0: This podcast is supported by Living Earth Ceramics. Living Earth Ceramics has been on Etsy bringing pottery to you for almost 10 years and has over 20 years of pottery experience. The focus is not only creating pieces that help bring lasting memories to your community and your life and your family through pottery, but also the support of charitable donations to organizations in need. Living Earth Ceramics created an amplifier in 2011 to help those with hearing loss like the owner herself. Other items have included mugs, serving ware, custom plates, and orders for newlyweds and holiday memories, gallery items, and custom requests for communal pieces to religious organizations. Living Earth Ceramics shop on Etsy offers 10% discount to orders using the coupon code CBF Conversations. That's one word, CBF Conversations with a free shipping now available to the continental United States. Living Earth Ceramics proudly supports our message of hope and love for all people. For more information, visit etsy.com backslash shop backslash Living Earth Ceramics. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites, fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.